Actually, you're, you can tell them you're looking way better than the last time I saw you. <laughs> hey, thrilled you're here. I uh, missed being with you last week. I was, uh, went to farm with my dad and my brother in Mississippi, and uh, just to kind of a go touch, touch your roots. My dad's 80. He had a birthday. He won't tell me how old he is. I think he's 81 or 82. But uh, he still drives the combine, plays golf, and it was just a great time to be there with my mom and others that I love and care about. But I want to encourage you before I open the Bible, uh, this is the last opportunity you have to register to vote. We've got a big election coming up in just a few weeks, and uh, we make it easy. You can sign up Arkansas or Texas. Uh, you're a grown adult. You can vote who you want to, uh, for who you believe is the right person. But if you're not registered, you can't vote. And uh, how many know what we've seen the last few days in the Judge Kavanaugh nomination? Uh, it's reflective of the fact that, that America is almost in a civil war. I mean, I mean, it's, it's not, America of tomorrow won't be like it is today. It's got to go in one direction or the other direction. And I want to encourage you to educate yourself. And uh, as soon as service is over, go on that table and register to vote if you're not, if you're not registered. Uh, I've been doing a series called uh, Jesus Said What? And we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, I use a phrase describing this sermon. It's actually three chapters of the Bible, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Jesus talked about probably 25, 30 different topics. And I make this statement that the Sermon on the Mount shaped the morality of Western civilization. That is a huge statement, a big statement. Even Wikipedia acknowledges this, this truth, that what Jesus said shaped the way we live. It shaped the way we do life. It shaped our understanding of right and wrong. And if there's anything in the Judge Kavanaugh nomination that, that was brought to the forefront of what is right and what is wrong and how do you know? And how do you respond to something that happens that you don't like? Uh, Judge Kavanaugh, as you know, if I could kind of build a little foundation, because what I try to do is I try to make the Bible relevant to everyday life. It's called a biblical worldview. I, I hope that you will see it's like a lens. If you've got cool sunglasses and they're blue, well, the world is blue. Well, I want the Bible to be that lens that you look at life because the Bible is truth. It's God's Word. And I do my best to try to help you make a connection. Uh, I am certainly not perfect. I am fallible. Uh, sometimes my own personal perceptions might creep through. And if they do, don't throw me away. Just give me a sh another shot. Uh, send me an email if you want to to uh, straighten me out. Just send it to mike.omer at churchontherock.org, and I'll, I'll make sure that I get it. No, serious note. But uh, Judge Kavanaugh uh, appeared before the, uh, the Judicial Committee. He was there, I think, a week or longer, grilled, you know, his past, whatever it's been, 40 years or so, and the judiciary and his record. And after all that was over, then somebody found a letter that made an accusation of supposedly sexual acts that he had committed when he was 18. And let me say this kind of bottom line for me. Uh, any sexual act of violation against another person is wrong. I'm kind of glad America's talking about it today. I hope we don't, I hope we don't just uh, don't stop with, you know, rape or molestation is certainly wrong, but I hope we ask ourselves questions because we have sex education classes in our schools. Are we teaching kids the right way or are we teaching them the wrong way? Uh, but anyway, uh, when that came out, it all shifted the debate about him and uh, what was right or what was wrong. Well, he went through this grilling, a, a seventh FBI background check, and they cleared him. And uh, whether you believe the findings or not, he was appointed yesterday as a Supreme Court justice. But um, Now, I know a lot of you aren't clapping right now because maybe you feel differently, and that's okay because we all... Uh, 
we know what we know because of what we read and who we listen to. And I'm glad you're here today to at least allow me to teach a little bit from the Bible that might influence you towards your thinking about everyday life, because the Bible is a relevant book. Uh, one thing that I think we would all agree with is, you know, you can disagree with someone that should be nominated, but for example, the pivotal vote, Senator Collins from Maine, uh, she was she obviously a woman, uh, she listened to it all, and then she came out to vote for him, and I read some of the tweets that were made about her that Twitter did not censor, uh, and it, it was threats calling for her death, uh, hoping she would kill herself, uh, at some point, we cross a line from civil discourse, from rightful disagreement into a line of open hostility. And what, what you'll see as we've gone through the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount teaches us things. We talked about murder. We talked about anger. Today, we'll talk about retaliation. Today, we'll talk about loving our enemies. Uh, all these are things that the Bible would teach us to know how to respond to these different issues of life. Now, what I'll do, whether I like the man or not, I'm going to pray for him every day. Because the Bible teaches me that I'm to pray for those that are in authority so I can have a quiet and peaceable life. I pray every day for President Trump, not because I like him or love him or hate him, but because the Bible teaches me to. Just like I did for President Obama, I prayed for him every day. So as Christians, somehow we rise above the political fray because how I many know we're first believers in God and we're trying to establish His kingdom on the earth. So uh, this is a little background for the Sermon on the Mount. Today we're talking about three sections in it, what Jesus said about making vows and keeping our word, about refusing to seek revenge, and loving our enemies. Let's approach it today. It's the fourth one of the series, the fourth of eight. Matthew 5, verse 33, Jesus said these simple words, Keep your word. Now we're going to read about four verses. And Jesus said again, you have heard that it was said. Now this is the fourth time he said it. You've heard it was said. He's talking about the Old Testament, just like he did about murder and about a, a, adultery and about divorce. He takes an Old Testament teaching as it was filtered through the Pharisees, who the religious leaders of their day, and then he told them how they should really respond to it. So you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, don't break your oath or your vow but fulfill to the Lord the vows you've made. And then Jesus said this, I tell you, do not swear an oath at all. Now, does that mean I don't make a marriage vow? Or does that mean I don't make a pledge or a vow in court? No, I don't think so, because I want to explain the context to you. And then he said this strange thing, don't, don't make an oath by heaven. It's God's throne. Don't make an oath by earth. It's, it's footstool or Jerusalem. It's the city of the great king. What in the world does that mean? It's like you're going to make a promise. You're going to say, I'm going to be at your house. I, I, I swear to you by heaven that I'm going to be at your house tomorrow at 8 o'clock. We're going to cut your grass. This is what he's talking about. I swear to you by uh, the earth itself. Or the next phrase, uh, Jesus said, I, I don't swear by your head. You can't make one of your hairs white or black. Obviously, he didn't live in today's color-filled world for hair products. <laughs> But the point is, Jesus is saying all these ways that people try to promise, they're not necessary. Jesus said all you simply need to say is yes or no, and anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Now, isn't that strange? That somehow Satan, as you find ways to break your word and break your oath, is behind that. Now let's kind of look at a summary. The Pharisees, who are the religious teachers, they said that oaths or vows could be broken. Unless you made a solemn oath to God, 
When you go to the courtroom and those courtrooms that still practice and you place your hand on the Bible and say, so help me God, you're making a solemn oath to God. Whereas if you say, I swear by heaven, well, you can get out of that because heaven is, is not God. And that's what they were kind of doing. Jesus said it's all wrong. In essence, Jesus is telling us, just keep your word and an oath or a promise won't be necessary. Oh, mommy, I'll clean up my room, I promise. Oh, mommy, I promise, 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 promise. With fingers crossed and hands crossed, I promise, 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 I'm going to clean up my room. Jesus is saying, all that's not necessary if you'll just simply do what you say. Now, when he talked about, you've heard that it was said, he quoted Leviticus in the Old Testament. It says, don't bring shame on the name of your God by using it to swear falsely. In other words, never make a pledge or a vow in God's name and then break that. It's a dishonoring God. Now, the, the definition of an oath, a vow, or swearing, it's all, swearing is not cursing. Swearing is the promise. Uh, it's similar definitions, and it's, and it's probably two types. The first is a solemn promise you make to God. You make a vow to God. For example, let's say you've got a piece of property. It's getting ready to sell. You're in church last week. The uh, CMA here was here doing their run for the sun, their missions work for the year, and you felt like the Holy Spirit tells you, when you sell that property, I want you to give $25,000 to the run for the sun, and you say, yes, Lord, I will do it. You've made a vow to God. But this is not what Jesus is talking about. When Jesus talks about making an oath, it's a solemn affirmation, but it's made with an appeal to God for the truth of what is affirmed. In other words, you're saying when you put your hand on that Bible in the courtroom and you say, so help me God, you are making that oath appealing to God's name. Now, when we talk about oaths in general, to make an oath or a promise, it was not forbidden in Scripture. See, this is why we have to read in context. Many people have said uh, 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 what Jesus said in verse 34, don't swear an oath by all, and therefore they say you just never do it. But they miss the context. If you looked at the whole Bible, you would see Paul the Apostle made a, a, a vow or an oath. He said in 2 Corinthians 1, I call upon God as my witness that I'm telling the truth. In other words, he brought God's name to underscore what he was saying. It was rarely used, but it was used in a sense of, of, of urgency. Uh, the Lord made an oath. In Psalm 132, verse 11, it says, The Lord swore to David a sure oath. And the oath was that one of your sons of your body I'll set on the throne. That would be Solomon one day. God did that. Here's one to come. Revelation chapter 10, an angel is going to make an oath. Revelation 10, 5, an angel raised his right hand to heaven and did what? See, when I do this, I want you to say what it's up there. So let's try that again. An angel raised his right hand to heaven and, swore. yeah, there you go, swore by him who lives forever and ever, God, who created the heaven and what's in it, that there would be no more delay. In other words, that judgment is coming. It's a sure thing. So the Bible does not prevent us from making oaths, but they're rarely to be used. Now, here's the whole, uh, you say, well, what's the big deal? Let's get practical now for us. The Pharisees looked for ways to get out of keeping their word. They, were, uh, uh, they wanted to make a deal, but if a better deal came along, they wanted to get out of it. For example, they say, well, tell you what, I'm going to sell you my house, my brother, and I'm going to sell it for you know, $100,000, uh, and I swear to you by heaven above that I'm going to do it. That's what he said in here. I swear to you by the earth, I swear to you by the hair on my head, $100,000, you bring me a check next week. Well, then she comes over and she said, 
I'll give you 105000 for your house. And you think, well, I made a vow, but I didn't make it. I didn't swear to God I was going to do it. I swore I was going to do it by heaven, so I'm free to break that vow. You understand? It's like kids. You go to school one day, and you see this kid has this chocolate brownie that Mama got from Panera Bread. I mean, it is you know, triple chocolate delight. And you want it. And you go to that child and you say, if you give me your brownie today, I'll give you my potato chips every day next week. No. I'll give you my potato chips for two weeks. Okay. And you get the brownie. And because your fingers were crossed, you're free. Look at your neighbor and said, I bet you've done something like that. Well, this is what the Pharisees were doing. But Jesus said this, don't swear at all. In other words, oaths or promises shouldn't even be necessary. Just do what you say and keep your word. Your yes should be yes and your no should be no. Now, as far as how this applies to us today, it's very simple, friends, that you apply in your life today and teach your children. Teach them this, friends. Always tell the truth and keep your word. It's called integrity. If you will teach your children character, you will give them one of the greatest gifts to help them exceed in life. Our reputation for being a person of our word makes vows and promises unnecessary. Very practical is the Bible. Now you ask again about the courtroom oath or a marriage vow. Are they wrong? That question was addressed in what's called the Westminster Confession of Faith. 1646, it was a product of the Protestant Reformation along the conservative Presbyterian line for much of Christianity. And they kind of codified codified the beliefs of, of the Christian. And they said this about an oath. It said, oaths are appropriate only in matters of what they called weight and moment or great and lasting consequence like marriage or court proceedings. And that's in essence what Jesus said. So, so okay to take the vow in court, okay to take the marriage vow, rarely make vows any other time, only when it's the most serious of nature. And the most important thing is be a man or be a woman of your word. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand today. Now, these next two get interesting. Jesus said, verse 38, don't retaliate or seek to get even. But your neighbor says, it's coming. <laughs> Don't retaliate. Here for a number, the fifth time in this sermon, Jesus said, you've heard that it was said. Again, talking about the Old Testament, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. Now, what, is, what does that mean when you hear that right off the cuff? Eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It means... If you kill a deer off my land, I'm coming to kill one off yours. If we get in a fight and you knock out my tooth, the Bible says I can pick up a stick and knock out one of yours. That's what it says. The Bible says that if you embarrass me in front of other people, I have the right to embarrass you back. It's retaliation. Now, I want you to notice, keep the scripture on the screen. See where it says NLT? That's the New Living Translation. That is what's called a, 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 a dynamic equivalent. Some Bible translations, you know, the Bible, the New Testament was written in Koine Greek. And, 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 and the, the translations strive for one or two things. Accuracy and word-for-word translation. But how many know, if you know anything about languages, not every language has the same uh, verbiage. The words are not the same. There are tenses of verbs in, in, for example, Greek. There's a continuous tense that we don't have in our English language. Uh, But a dynamic equivalent, what it does is it tries to capture the idea. 
So here's how it's said in the NLT. The punishment must match the injury, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. So rather than giving you a liberty to hit somebody back, the Bible just wants to make sure, as did Hammurabi's code, a forerunner of law, that the punishment is not more than the crime. In other words, you know, you punch my tooth out, I don't have the right to knock out every tooth in your head. The punishment is to match the crime. Now, let's keep, but here's how Jesus responded to that. But I tell you, don't resist an evil person. Now, another translator says this word resist, don't be hostile towards another person. And this is where we're going because Jesus is not talking about, you, Jesus is not saying you can't defend yourself. I'm going to talk about that. Jesus is not saying you can't stand up for yourself. But Jesus is saying don't retaliate in hostility. Don't let your anger drive you to get even. And then he says something pretty amazing. I hope this is a hyperbola, but, but he says, If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Let us practice that. Steve, come up here. You're fasting. Fasting from slapping? <laughs> well, you get the picture. You go to school tomorrow, and somebody whacks you. You're supposed to go, do it again, man. I don't think he's saying that. And I remember what the Jews were teaching was justifiable retaliation. Get even. And Jesus is saying, don't be hostile back. Jesus has said that they want to sue you and take your shirt, give them your jacket too. They force you to go to a mile, and Roman soldiers could do that by law, carry their goods, their backpack, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you. How many believe we should, we should obey what the Bible has to say? You do. How many? Raise your hand. I, I believe what the Bible has to say. Would you please give me all your money right now? <laughs> Did it just say, give to the one who asked you? So again, this is some language. It's kind of an exaggerated language, but to bring a truth home. Jesus is, Jesus is basically saying, it's a problem when you live to get even with someone else. Um, give to the one who asked you, don't turn away. So once again, for Jesus, he said, revenge and retaliation are wrong. Christian kindness is the moral high ground. Think in terms of, of Justice Kavanaugh. Think in terms of Senator Collins right now who got these death threats uh, simply because of the way she voted in an election. Uh, how would you respond? How would we respond as a church? If Antifa, short for anti-fascism, the group that, you know, make, clothes themselves in black, comes to Texarkana like they came to a church in Austin and said, you either need to change your beliefs on marriage and sexuality or you need to leave the town of Austin. What do you do? Do you just say, hit me again, baby. <laughs> Give him a cappuccino. No, there is a way that you can stand up for what's right, but still love people in the midst of it and not endeavor to get even. This is what we're talking about. This is what Jesus is talking about. Um, it was called the law of retaliation, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But again, the law was given to make sure punishment didn't exceed the crime. But here's the problem. In Jesus' day, it had been watered down to justifiable retaliation. You hurt me, I have the right to hurt you, and I will. So from a law that was given to limit the punishment to fit the crime, now it's become I'm justified to get even to, re to retaliate, and that's where the problem comes in. Uh, Jesus said to them, you don't have to claim your rights. 
when you turn the other cheek, when you show kindness, just because you have the right to get even, you don't have to. And the model of Jesus shows us this. 1 Peter 2.23, he did not retaliate when he was insulted. Jesus on the cross, he did not threaten revenge when he suffered. So here's the big three-letter three question. Why? Why should I not retaliate? Why should I not seek to hurt you? Why should I not scheme how to get even with you? Because you stole my boyfriend. Why should I not scheme to get even with you? Because you stole my position on the ball field. Why should I not scheme to get even with you? Because you lied about me to get the promotion that I want. You took credit for my work. Why? I'll tell you why. Because when you respond with a Christ-like act, and everybody knows it, it opens a door of mercy and grace for people that are away from God to come to the Savior. And this is what is needed, friend. They're in darkness, and we're the light. The people, I don't care if it's Antifa, I don't care if it's the people that oppose, that, that, are, that are threatening the Judge Kavanaugh's and those that are their followers, if that's you, I don't care who it is. People need Jesus. People respond in hateful ways because they don't have Christ. People walk in darkness because the light is missing. And our response could be a way to bring that light to them. Let me keep reading. Romans chapter 12 says this. Paul said, never pay back evil with more evil. Now some people might think that's weakness. But the Bible would say that's the greatest of strength. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you're honorable. It's calling this act, refusing to get even, an honorable action. Dear friends, never take revenge. As Scripture says, God will pay them back. But verse 20, it's the kicker. If your enemy is hungry, what do you do? If your biggest competitor is going bankrupt, give them some of your work. We've been, we've been, you know, we've been duking for years. You know, he dukes me. I duke him back. I mean, I just, I just, I, I, got And I found out he got sued and he didn't have insurance. He didn't have liability insurance. And now he's about to go down the toilet. Praise the Lord. And you call him up. Say, hey, this is John. What do you want? Man, I heard you having a hard time here. No, I think it's great. No, it's great. No, I mean, let's look and be real. You're having a hard time. I want to help you. What can I do to help you? What? I said, what can I do to help you? Help me. Yeah, I want to help you. Nobody needs to have your kids suffer because business is bad and it's not your fault. Nobody needs to be able to have your poor wife not being able to buy, you know, whatever. Let me, let me help you a little bit. Are you serious, man? Yeah. I'm Why are you doing this? Well, I'll tell you, it's because of Jesus. Amen. Jesus treats me better than I deserve in life, and he's convicted me in my heart that I hadn't treated you right over the years, and, 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 and I want to help you. What time do you go to church? Where, where, what church do you go to? If you do this, the Bible says you'll heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Shame not, as, you know, not to singe their hair, but shame in the sense of conviction that their life they're living in. Listen, you do right when everybody knows you should do wrong. I, 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 someone shared with me an article last night. Uh, Judge Kavanaugh, I think he has a 10-year-old daughter. 
when uh, Dr. Ford made the accusation of his uh, sexual whatever he did. When uh, I couldn't even watch all of it last week. It was making me so mad and nervous. But, but the little pieces that I picked up, uh, I, I, I saw, I saw uh, pictures of a little girl. Somebody made a cartoon out of it. And their little cartoons, 10-year-old girl now, said, God forgive my daddy for being a, 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 a hater and a molester and a rapist. Uh, help my daddy and forgive my daddy in Jesus' name. Well, that's what the news media printed. But what the little girl did is she got down on her knees and she prayed for the woman that was accusing her daddy. Yeah. And she didn't pray asking God to kill him, but she prayed out of a sincere and a pure heart. Yeah. Now, this is what we're talking about. Let's, now, now, let me balance this out a little bit. Again, in this section, Jesus basically is he's telling us that we're not to retaliate or get even. But he didn't say we can't protect ourselves or stand up to a bully. Let me give you a little balance in this. Self-defense. Luke 22, verse 36. Jesus Christ said these words. It's in red in your Bible. Jesus said, let the one who has no... Say it again. Sword. Let the one who has no sword sell his jacket and buy one. Oh, Pastor, why were they going to buy a sword? It, to peel apples, it's okay. <laughs> to peel apples on the, on, on the Jordan Plain. No. And the, the Bible never, Jesus, Christianity does not teach uh, uh, promoting your religion through the use of violence. That's what the Muslims and the Islamists do in their holy jihad. Christianity is different. There's only one thing you can come up with is Jesus wanted this sword to be used for self-defense. They were not to get an armor or an arsenal to start a war, but they were to be able to defend themselves. Jesus Christ, when he's told you to turn the other cheek to your enemy, was not saying you can't defend yourself or your family or a person being attacked or even to protect our nation. I read one commentator that said self-defense is not only an urgent necessity, but it is the first necessity of all. Now hear this, defending yourself is not retaliation. Retaliation is when somebody hurts you, then you go to get your gun or whatever to hurt them back. That's retaliation. But you can defend yourself. Let me, let me if I can talk about America a moment. It, sadly, in America today, violence is justified for political gain. Now think of the use of violence. It is condemned in Scripture. See, if the Bible is your worldview and you think about the proper use of violence, you go back to the use of the book of Genesis... And you see, in the days of Noah, the violence of men was so great that God destroyed the whole earth with a flood. So how could I use violence to advance a cause today, even a right cause? You take abortion clinics. There was a few people that, in the name of God, bombed abortion clinics. Their act of violence does not justify the outcome. Are you with me today? Let me let you read a tweet. This was sent to Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz, a state senator from Texas, uh, he and his wife were in a restaurant in, in Washington. Uh, a man named uh, a group called Smash Racism D.C., which, as I understand, is led by a professor at a college that's teaching kids. He says this is a message to Ted Cruz, Brett Kavanaugh, uh, uh, Donald Trump, and the rest of the racist, sexist, transphobic, and homophobic right-wing scum. You are not safe. We will find you. We will expose you. We will take from you the peace you have taken from so many others. So what do you do with that? Turn the other cheek and say, take it away? No, but in some way, motivated by Christian love 
and a stand for truth, you stand up to the evil in the world. Stand up to the evil in the world. Don't be intimidated by the bully. In our nation today, James Dobson, I have great respect for him. He, he came out and said, before this election comes up, he said, Christians, you need to get involved politically because socialism will take over America. I read a, a study a day before yesterday that uh, uh, millennials, uh, one in three, describe themselves as progressive socialists. Now, having no idea of what it means, but being taught that in modern education... Let me tell you what socialism and its big brother communism. You know the big difference between the two is the communist has the dictator in place and he can kill you and the socialist just hadn't got there yet. I'm going to go deeper into this, one message before early voting and talk about some of these issues in our nation in, in just a couple weeks from a biblical point of view. But there have been tens upon tens of millions of people that have been killed by communist dictators. This is in opposition to America, which is built on freedom. Capitalism has become an ugly word. Forget all the people that have abused it. But capitalism is built on individual freedom and responsibility. And there's people that want to take it away, and they will use violence to get it there. Listen, friends, you and I need to educate ourselves, but we need to stand up when evil knocks at the door. Now, this is a tension, and there's just no way around it. You're to love your enemy, you're not to retaliate, but you can defend yourself, and you stand up for truth. And I hope I'm making you a little uncomfortable. What I want to do is make you think, because it's not always an easy answer. So let me kind of summarize this little section. You and I are first witnesses for Christ. When somebody does us wrong, retaliation is an option. Let us not go looking for a fight, but let us respond in love let us not retaliate with hate, but if we must defend ourselves or those we care for, let us do it. Let me say this. Jesus would say to us, Christian kindness and love is more important than getting even. We can break the cycle of retaliation as an ambassador for Christ. Come on, somebody give the Lord a good, a good hand. Jesus said, I got a, a little great video, but I don't have time. Will you give me an extra two minutes? Yeah. I was already going to take four or five, so that'll be just enough time. <laughs> Show this little quick video about a mom whose son, true story, whose son was killed, and rather than retaliating against him, she won him for Christ. Read the story. We end tonight with one of the most potent powers on earth. It can change lives in an instant. Everyone has it. It's the power to forgive. Thank you, Lord. In a small apartment building in North Minneapolis, a 59-year-old teacher's aide sings praise to God for no seemingly apparent reason. Indeed, if anyone was to have issues with the Lord, it would be Mary Johnson. For all you've done for me. He never had a chance. In February 1993, Mary's son, Loramian Bird was shot to death during an argument at a party. He was 20 and Mary's only child. My son was gone. The killer was a 16-year-old kid named O'Shea Israel. I wanted justice. He was an animal. He deserved to be caged. And he was. Tried as an adult and sentenced to 25 and a half years, O'Shea served 17 before being recently released. He now lives back in the old neighborhood, close to Mary this close. 
as a devout Christian, she felt compelled to see if there was some way, if somehow she could forgive her son's killer. They don't just live close, they are close. Clearly, Mary was able to forgive. Forgiveness is a powerful thing. Which explains why Mary can sing her praise of thanks to her audience of one. Steve Hartman, CBS News. She could have said an eye for an eye, a life for a life, or could she have chosen to realize that there's a man that needs Christ, and i got to forgive him so I can reach him. You're the light of the world. Let me close with this last section. Jesus said, number three, love your enemy. What a great video introduction. Listen to verse 43. Once again, sixth time now, you have heard it was said, Old Testament, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, in the Old Testament, Leviticus 19, 18 says, don't seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. What's missing? Hate. Jesus said, you've heard it said, love your neighbor, your friends, your Israelites, and hate your enemy. So the Pharisees had added something that's not in the Bible to justify hatred and violence. Jesus' response to this, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Why? Verse 45, so you may be children of your Father in heaven. You want to be a Christian? Don't just be it in belief, but be it in action. Pray for those who persecute you. And when you do this, when you love enemies, you'll be children of your Father because God makes the sun rise on the good and the evil. God sends rain for the farmer on the just and the unjust. Uh, if you love those who love you, what, what reward will you get? Even tax collectors, it's kind of a snub to the Pharisee. They do that. If you greet only people that are doing, uh, uh, greet your own friends, what more are you doing? Pagans do that. But look at verse 48. Be perfect. The word teleos means mature. In other words, grow up and act like God when it comes to treating people that are your enemies. God on the cross looked down and said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Jesus is saying, listen, love your enemies and act like this. Jesus Christ said, hatred is never justified even for enemies. And this is where I call what we have seen emerge or erupt from the Judge Kavanaugh, the intimidation, the bribery, the hatred that keeps going on and on. If we as Americans would somehow steer our national conscience back to these words that shaped the morality of America, back to these words that brought civility and hatred would leave our discourse, we would be a better people. Um, eye for an eye is an action. Loving your enemy, no hatred is an attitude. Uh, the issue in Jesus' day, the religious leaders, Pharisees, were teaching that it's, you can love people you like, but it's okay to hate your enemies. And my friends, let me underscore it with this as we wrap up. Jesus said, be perfect or be mature. God treats the most unlikely people in the kindest ways. I was a 19-year-old uh, kid living in Mississippi. Uh, I was worldly. Uh, I never raped anybody. I just had fun. You did too. I drank, I smoked, 
I wasn't advancing the kingdom of God. I was cool. I was living for myself. I was just having fun, living life. But a good God knocked on my heart one day and said, I've got something a little better if you're willing to turn away from that and give me a chance. And you know what? He did. So in essence, is vi- I remember, and I, I'm ashamed of this, I was in high school, and it was cool in high school to win the ball game at whatever you had to do. And I'm running, I got a double, and the old kid, I knew the boy, but he was my enemy on the other team. He's at second base, and I aimed at his knee with steel cleats. And they had to take him to a hospital in an ambulance, and I got up. You never did that ball player, did you? Getting a late lick, hitting somebody in the pile, just going punching people. See, loving your enemies filters into every one of our lives. And God wants us to do it because He first did it to us. And now He wants to us to do it to other people. I'm going to close with this last little video. It deeply touches me. What you'll see is you'll see two men, old guys, playing checkers with their grandkids or playing chess. But the story starts out where they were enemies on a battlefield. And one man, the, I presume the Vietnamese man, captured the American. And I want you to follow their little story about how enemies loved each other and became friends. He's trying to trap me, you see. I'm not falling for it. Has he ever trapped you? are ruthless. Thank you. Hey, do you play? teach you. No way out of this. Go 
How did you do that? He had a great teacher. Jesus went on to say, love your enemies. Love your enemies and do good to them. And then your reward from heaven will be very great. You'll be truly acting as children of the God Most High. For He is kind to those who are unthankful and unholy. May you and I embrace the words of Christ today. We can't control what other people do. But if we would begin to live this way, our world would be a better place. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. He's worthy of praise. Why don't you stand to your feet with me? Hey, really glad you came today. Lord willing, we'll continue this next week. And make sure you register to vote afterwards in the lobby. But before you turn off, going to lunch, wherever you're going, could you give the Lord just a moment? Because as I understand, whenever the Bible is proclaimed, it always calls for action. So here's my question. Now what? Did you feel kind of a tap on the shoulder or a little bit of twinge, a conviction about something today? W would you be willing to make a change today of whatever the Holy Spirit's asking you? Maybe it was about keeping your word. Maybe you live with your fingers crossed a lot. If you make that decision today, you just became a more mature Christian. Maybe it's about retaliating. Maybe, maybe you've held grudges since childhood and you can go back and who owed you money from 40 years ago. Won't you let them go today? Won't you bless those that curse you? Won't you be willing to turn the other cheek? And that doesn't make you a weak person. It makes you a strong, mature person. How about loving your enemies? It's just ingrained in our culture that we hate people. We hate people whose skin color is different. We hate different generations. We look at the way we dress and we look at the way some old man dresses up here and we think. Hatred is ingrained in our midst. Why don't we let it go? Why don't we love our enemies? Why don't we open doors of grace so the love of a Savior can impact the world around me? Well, Holy Spirit, this is what we want. And it's fairly easy to pray this in the church house, but when we get out there in the middle of it and all the people around us are nudging us and pushing us and saying, what do you let him do that for? And, and, and don't let him get away with it. Put him, crush him, it's his business. Let the Holy Spirit keep working. Let him work on the playground. Let him work in the locker room. Let him work when we're driving a car. And Why should I let another person out in front of me on Richmond Road? Just let the grace of God just follow us everywhere we go. Come on, just lift your hands to heaven. Say, Holy Spirit, I can't do this on my own. I want to ask you to produce this kind of fruit in me. Take hatred out of my heart and put love there. Take out prejudice. Take out pride and put in humility. Teach me how to love people that are different from me. Lord, I pray to God I never have to defend myself, but if I do, or someone I love, let me even do that in the name of the Lord with kindness. 
Lord, I pray that you would help me, Lord, know what to do in an evil world. In Jesus' name. Let's close with this last prayer. Our worship team is going to have one last song. And if you don't have to just rush out, give them a chance to finish it. Because there will be people coming for prayer, and I don't want to interrupt them. We're going to have our prayer team come back. And if you need prayer for anything in your life, we'll pray for you. Maybe today's message brought up some pain inside. Let's leave it. Turn it over to God. We'll pray about anything. But the most important prayer we'd like to pray is about your personal relationship with God. And remember when I described in my message uh, the worldly time of my life, 16, 17, 18, 19. Just a wild little hellion. But I, was, I came to a realization in my heart that something's missing. How many know, let's just get real a minute. How many know if you get drunk every night or every other night for three or four months and you still don't feel happy? Something is wrong. Do you think one more night's going to help? How many people do you have to sleep with to feel accepted? To feel loved? If 50, if 100 had, you think number 101 is going to be your knight in shining armor? What you're looking for is God. What I was searching for is the same thing every person in life is searching for. A real relationship with God. Christianity is more than rules. Listen, I don't live by certain rules because my wife will divorce me. I do things because I love her and I want to keep our marriage alive and happy. And that's why I live the way I live as a Christian. Not because my paycheck depends on it, because I know my Heavenly Father and I want Him to smile on our life. Well, you know, that doesn't happen automatically. Just because you come to the church house doesn't mean that's going to happen. You have to make a deliberate and a conscious step to turn your life over to Christ. You have to be willing to say, Lord, I'm willing to let go of my old life. I remember the last time pot touch my lips I'd been a Christian for a little while and somebody gave it to me and I was by myself and when I put that little puff in my mouth I felt like I just slapped Jesus in the face and all of a sudden I realized I don't want that anymore I have found something more real and more important and I threw it away never took back to it I didn't have, it wasn't because some preacher told me I had to quit all these things to come to God. I just met God, and then I didn't want to do those things. But if you're here today, and you feel like I'm talking right to you, that's the Holy Spirit telling you God has a better plan for your life. Let me tell you how it starts, friend. Believe in Jesus and start following Him. And if you believe in Jesus today, you'll need to ask Him to forgive you for your sins. You'll need to believe that Christ can do that and give you a brand new start. And then, my friends, it's not just a prayer in a church, but you need to set yourself on a course to follow Jesus. And if you've got the guts to do that, I promise you, He's a life-changing God, and it'll be worth it. So if that's you, listen, when He starts playing this song, and you want to get right with God and commit your life to Christ, just slip out of your chair. Someone will meet you at the cross, and they'll pray for you. We won't embarrass you. We want to help you get on the road to serving Jesus Christ. Go ahead and begin to sing, uh, Pastor, uh, uh, Pastor Zach. Prayer team's coming to the front now. One last song. Prayer team, come on up. You need prayer for anything, they're here for you. Most importantly, if you want to get right with God, we'll see you at the cross. I love you. Thanks for being here.